Mountain and Chilwell, the goal scorers. Chelsea defeat Porto 2-0 in the first leg of the Champions League quarterfinal. It was an away leg, but it was in a neutral site. We'll get into all the interesting discussions stemming from this game, and we'll be joined by Chelsea's 2019-2020 player of the season, Mateo Kovacic, making his Chelsea mic'd up debut. All that and more here on the official Chelsea FC podcast, Chelsea mic'd up. Vamos! Joined as always by my neutral observer co-host and executive producer on this podcast. Thank you for all the work that you do here, Chris Whittingham. I'm the emotional host, Mike Ryan Ruiz, and your boy is flying high. I'm soaring. <laughs> 2-0, the final score. Chelsea take care of business in the first leg. That is going to be a tough row to hoe for Porto in the second leg. Granted, they don't have to go to Sanford Bridge, but trying to score, when you're not West Brom, trying to score more than a goal against Chelsea FC is a tall order. Now they got to make up two. Chelsea with two crucial away goals. You and I have been going back and forth all week on this in, in our private text messages. I don't understand the need for the away goals rule, but whatever. <laughs> it works for me. Chelsea, one of the more confusing performances of the season. I thought Porto was a better team for the majority, or at least the more threatening team for the majority of the game. And we sometimes, we should know, being a, a Chelsea FC podcast, is sometimes it plays directly into Chelsea's hands. So you can't necessarily grade it that way, but... Chelsea's attack was really stagnant in this game. They had three chances. They scored on two of them. (laughs) It wasn't exactly PSG Bayern, but they got the job done, Chris, and their odds ever increasing to make a quarterfinal. We'll see. I'm still not ready to write off Liverpool and their tie, but Chelsea very primed for deep run into this tournament, and considering where this club was, Back in January, job well done so far by Thomas Tuchel. And when you say they're primed for a deep run, the the deep run is already happening. Like you're if if you're in the quarterfinal, you have made a deep run, and if you're up in the first leg, it's a deep run. And it is interesting, kind of as you mentioned, if you'd said in January you get a two nil away win, it's not really an away win, but a two nil away win in the Champions League in the first leg of a quarterfinal, be like incredible. Where do I sign up? And yet we're still able to nitpick this performance because I do think in this shape. When it looks good and it's forward-flowing, it's a back three with two central midfielders that can join the attack, two wingbacks that join the attack, and then three forwards. Whereas today, it looks like five defenders and two holding midfielders and three guys alone on an island up top. And that's where you start to see those struggles. I thought, even though Porto had some quality chances, I never really felt a, a significant sense of threat to Chelsea's goal. Edward Mendy made a couple of good saves, but it wasn't like he needed to produce a moment of magic. I'd say probably the, the closest was that moment where he tips it onto the crossbar on a corner that was coming straight at him. Could have been an Olympico, and then yeah. he tips on the bar and then comes for a Porto defender who skies got it over lucky. the bar. Got lucky. Yeah, Chelsea no, got did. lucky in that first half. But I, I never really felt too often like they were under serious threat. Um, they were defending in their own box, which is something that Chelsea have done in a way Champions League ties all the time. So I would say from that aspect, you're kind of comfortable. Then Mason Mount pulls off an incredible moment of magic to kind of pull Chelsea out of the rut. And I thought by the time he got to the hour mark, Chelsea started to express themselves a bit more. I thought Christian Pulisic coming on was a real impactful substitution to kind of get Chelsea going forward. He nearly scored, and then Chilwell uh, eventually gets that goal. But uh, you kind of survive the bits that Chelsea were not playing poorly without really being under too much threat. And then 
take advantage of the chances that you get, and that's how you win in Europe. Let's accentuate the positive, not necessarily eliminate the negative, because there were some moments here. There's still some more meat on the bone. I'm sure Kai Havertz, that one's going to stay with him for a while. But let's talk about the Mount goal. Great service from Jorginho in a game that the the long-distance service in this match really lacking for Chelsea. Uh, Jorginho, not great on on the long balls. Christensen, who's been really working hard on that aspect of his game, I thought struggled mightily today with some of his service. But one moment of brilliance, and it's Jorginho and Mount, two guys that entering the season weren't exactly known for their direct goal contributions, Right. Beautiful turn from Mason Mount on a well-placed ball, and the finish, extraordinary. And I couldn't help but think of Frank Lampard when I saw that goal there. <laughs> um, now, now I, I, I think history is going to make Frank a little bit more selfless than he actually was because his hands were tied because of the transfer ban. But when I see that Mason Mount thing, and I know London is blue, always quick with the banter, tagging us on the Mason Mount criticisms of, of a player that had struggled, I think even he would tell you, with his finishing, I think that right there is actually the argument for we never really had to endure the suffering of a young player that's ascending, like Mason Mount. In previous seasons, he is using that season and struggling to finish for another club. That's, you know, Southampton's cross to bear. It's not Chelsea's. Well, it was Chelsea's last year. And now, gold at the end of the rainbow, Chris, because he has been a phenomenal player for Thomas Tuchel. Since Thomas Tuchel has arrived, Mason Mount has been Chelsea's best player. Who could have seen that given the narrative surrounding him and Frank Lampard? Well, and I always thought that the narrative was unfair as it relates to Tuchel coming in because he was going to trust young players he always has in his career. So he's going to give these guys a chance. And Mason Mount has clearly earned every bit of what he's gotten in his career. And it's interesting because there is a debate within the fan base about Mason Mount. And yet... When we talk to Sam Page, the under-12 academy coach, regularly on this program, I would say no Chelsea player comes up more than Mason Mount because he is the ultimate Chelsea youth development success story from the academy to the loan to Vitesse to the loan to the championship to getting a chance in the first team to play, earn his way. And at the beginning, it felt like Frank Lampard backing his guy, but clearly we see that he saw a fair bit of talent in Mason Mount, that he was going to make a leap, and then with a different manager, he continues his growth curve. And that extra bit of his game, which is what we've talked about, the goal scoring and finishing in tight areas, has only improved under Thomas Tuchel. And that touch today, the spin, is just of the very highest quality. And that's what I've kept saying is, I'm not ruling out that Mason Mount can produce moments like that. I'm just saying we hadn't seen moments of quality like that really until the last six weeks, I'd say. The touch, the spin, the finish into the bottom corner, clinical. You, you go opposite Agustin Marchesin, and it was just a tremendous bit of play. And that's match-breaking, match-winning quality that I just didn't, I, I didn't think we had seen up until recently. So... It's an incredible success story what the development of this player has been. Massively impactful goals too. Match winning goals like he had against Liverpool and now in the quarterfinals against Porto. It's a massive stage for the player. He is helping you win games. That wasn't really a job anyone had him pegged for entering the season. It was about the Germans. Well, they're struggling with their finishing. Mason Mount is stepping up to the plate in a big, big way for Chelsea FC. It is beautiful to see. Granted, there were frustrations along the way, growing pains, but he is growing into what, for my money, is Chelsea's player of the season. I know that's been a hot debate. We maybe try to 
open the door a little bit to other players. He's been fantastic. So is that signing of Edouard Mendy, who was kept busy in this game against Porto. Never really tested, never had to be spectacular, but given Chelsea's record over the last few years and the production they were getting out of that position, you don't need someone to be spectacular. You need to be confident in a goalkeeper. And just think about the high press from Porto. How many times have we seen that bite Chelsea in the past? A mistake was made. These players who have been drilled with playing out the back under three different managers here, surviving all sorts of transfer bans. I mean, this is so Rudiger. This is so Christensen. These are players that have in the past struggled with the ball at their feet. Mendy, who was reputed to not be the strongest with the ball at his feet. No mistakes in this game. Easy breezy. Full confidence. Credit to the players for developing. Some of these players aren't exactly young players. These are kind of final products. And even they are showing that they can improve under this manager. Throw that in the the pile of things you love to see. I've always kind of thought since seeing Mendy arrive that he's been pretty good with the ball at his feet. But if you're talking about just his pure goalkeeping performance, it really comes down to what your baseline expectation is. And I think now when I watch Edouard Mendy, he's been so good for Chelsea that every save that he made today is something that I expect him to make. And yet I might perhaps be underrating how difficult his job was because that's work to do for a goalkeeper. He was very busy and had to produce every moment of magic. And maybe not every goalkeeper in the world keeps a clean sheet tonight. And Edouard Mendy has reached such a level of where his average is so high that now I'm expecting, oh, that wasn't that tough for Mendy. But it could have been tough for a different goalkeeper. So I I do think he deserves an immense amount of credit. And I think tonight, I wonder how much it was informed by the West Bromwich Albion match, which maybe we can get to later. Maybe we can just completely ignore because why (laughs) talk about it? But I do think that in the manner in which Chelsea conceded some of those goals, particularly under pressure, I wonder if Thomas Tuchel, who I imagine at some point would like to get to a place where every defender plays every pass out of the back and you play your way through teams, kind of recognized and on short rest, you know what? If you're under that kind of pressure, just get rid. And yeah. there were a few times that Chelsea did, and they weren't made to pay for it. Uh, right on. With everything that you're saying, I- I'm not at the point where I'm going to take a-, a mundane ho-hum clean sheet in the Champions League for granted. There have only been maybe three or four occasions this season where I've been like, Mendy, what are you doing? You're a little out of position. His positioning in this game, Chris, was quite excellent. He came out when he needed to come out. He made saves at the edge of the box. He was class in this game didn't have to be spectacular but look Manuel Neuer in the other game that's one of the generation's best goalkeepers he makes a mistake I know they're mitigating circumstances there with the snow but rock solid from Edouard Mendy it's not sexy but he was probably my man of the match Mateo Kovacic will be joining us later in this podcast you can make an argument for him I'm, I'm with you Christian Pulisic made a great impact being subbed on Kai Havertz now this may be fallen victim to inadequate replays for Champions League broadcasts. The game moves fast sometimes. I would have loved to have seen a million angles of uh, Christian Pulisic hitting the bar with that shot at that angle, but it's just not available. I don't really know what happened. Did Pepe get away with a tug on Kai Havertz? I watched it the few times it presented itself, and I'm not exactly sure how that ball doesn't go in the back of the net. Yeah, because I mean... Kai Havertz with his balance scores, I would think. I mean, otherwise that would be an almighty miss. So I I think he was affected in some way. Now, the goal ended up being offside, so uh, it it wasn't entirely down to that miss. But yeah, I think in general, the forward players, 
even occasionally Mount, right? Because Mount, he scores the goal, but he was still starved the uh, starved of the ball at times. And, you know, there was one time Timo Werner was running and just left the ball behind him. There were just times where they looked starved of the ball and they looked like they didn't have any flow or rhythm once they did have it. So uh, Kai Havertz struggling. And with that miss, my feeling is that he could have probably made an argument for being fouled. I would like to have seen, as you said, a clear replay. I kind of wonder if Pepe's previous is in my mind <laughs> where it's like, well, Pepe... He's yeah. going to foul someone and give away penalties and probably a red card. So I just assume that he had to have kicked him. But yeah, I mean, in general, even if it is, it's kind of like in the NBA where they, when someone takes a three after a whistle goes and like Kevin Garnett rises to block their mm-hmm. shots, they don't see the ball go in the net. I feel like it's the same thing for Kai Havertz. Even if it is offside, even if it is disallowed, it'll just be good for him to see the ball go in the back of the net because he was in. Reese James seems to have solidified the right wing back position here in the first team. However, there are things left to be desired in in Reese's game. I think we've made the point that he's a bit of a volume shooter with with those crosses and he can stand to improve even though many might peg him as one of the best crossing wingbacks on the planet right now. He can improve that much. That's how high his ceiling is with that special, special service. But the touch aspect of his game that's kind of lacking. This guy can absolutely blast them with those crosses. But in terms of that soft touch pass to put a ball out in front of a player that's running alongside of you, that part of his game is still not quite there yet, Chris. Yeah, it's that run where a forward player, and on, on tonight's occasion, it was Mason Mount on his side, is running kind of inside of the fullback and running beyond him, and Reese just has to bend that ball. Reese just doesn't seem to be able to get that ball right. So I imagine it's something that they're working on the training ground because one of the things about this system where it looks really defensive and where it looks like Chelsea can't really attack, those wingbacks have to contribute in the attack, not just in terms of crossing the ball because they're late arriving and they're kind of the last man unmarked. They have to be a, a big part of the possession play. I think the more that he can kind of bend and get that ball into a good position, the more that he can help Chelsea in the attack. Because he's got, as you said, so many skills. It's not just the crossing, ball-carrying ability, strength. There's a couple times where he just gets into 50-50 tussle. It's like, my God, this guy's a unit. But mm-hmm. there's a few moments of touch and passing that I think can improve. Let's talk about Porto real quick. Boy, a theatrical bunch. This Porto team. Oh, my God. That was annoying to watch. Uh, I don't know if this is par for the course with Porto. They were looking for the referees to make decisions for them. I, it was it was hard to watch. That was that was early 2000 soccer that yeah. I saw from, from Porto. It was like 11 Neymars out there. It was so over the top <laughs> and dramatic. And Aspilicueta looked like he was about to blow a gasket. And he's always got a shorter fuse when yeah. it comes to that kind of thing, Aspilicueta. He's one of the more rugged players. My God. God, watching this team, it was so annoying. Yeah, I think Portugal is probably the highest level where there is still that blank housery going on. Because, I mean, you see a lot on this side of the pond uh, in North America and Mexico and South America. There's a lot of players that do that. But it does seem like even when South American players go to play at big European clubs, that's kind of beaten out of them. Like, there aren't that many Neymars, even amongst the dozens of South American players all across Europe. And yeah. yet, I guess in Portugal, that's still encouraged <laughs> because yeah. you're right. I mean, there's like still like times where, you know, Aspiliqueta got into a tangle with a player, I forget who, and he comes off as, as if he's been hammered in his leg. And you, they show the replay, it's a little bit of a coming together, but he's just absolutely writhing on the ground. It's like, oh, I guess... 
this does still exist in the game. I guess in ma- in major European football, it's just kind of it's more of an outlier now. Yeah, they were trying to draw penalties on, on really soft things. I mean, you can't put a hand on some of these players. That big guy, uh, Morega, I think was his oh. name, who was a striker who started. He's a big dude. Gets like a like tiny one handed shove from Espiliqueta, and he goes down with his arms failing. It's like, come on, man, you're big, you're strong. What are you doing? I don't know if you've noticed, but the uh, old American trope from non soccer fans. Oh, there's flopping everywhere that's kind of dissipating slowly yeah and man i don't want any on the fence americans watching porto play i'll tell you that right now (laughs) it was just so rough i was getting so frustrated i can't believe there were only three minutes of added time at the end of that just because of all the theatrics makes me i'm not looking forward to playing porto again just because of that is it's an annoying watch okay that does it for the nitpicking because guess what chelsea won two nil chris this is a massive massive achievement for chelsea fc let's not look past it let's not take it for granted because chelsea are this close this close to being in a glamour semifinal against either real madrid or liverpool and then you're so close might as well win the damn thing we'll talk to a player that's been to the highest of highs in that sport world cup finals champions league finals this guy has almost done it all in the sport and hopefully he can add a champions league trophy at chelsea to his name mateo kovacic chelsea's player of the season the reigning player of the season joins us next here on chelsea mic'd up introducing perfect play the most advanced football training app available developed with and used by the chelsea fc academy Built with innovative player tracking technology. Featuring masterclasses from some of football's biggest stars. Offering world-class, personalised football coaching. So train with the best and become the player you want to be. Start training for free. Download on the App Store now. Now, we've been talking off the air, and we kind of run into this as Americans. Like, a lot of people mispronounce Christian Pulisic's last name, or at least he has a preference of pronunciation. Everyone calls you Mateo Kovacic, and I'm not exactly sure that's 100% correct. So how do I pronounce your last name according you're, to you? That's good. Kovacic. 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 All right, good. I wanted to make sure because I'm not sure what... Yeah, yeah. Pulisic is Pulisic, not Pulisic. Pulisic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, you've had some fun with him in that department, right? He's kind of... Uh, I had big. I had because his body is a Pulisic. He can't run away from that. <laughs> oh, wow. So you're actually recruiting him. So I think it's a little too late. Of too course. many caps uh, for the U.S. men's national team. But yeah, he was he was eligible. I'm sure you were recruiting him for the Croatian national team he, retroactively. He is, he is Pulisic, Pulisic. <laughs> yeah, I imagine he would have gone for Pulisic too. But like here in America, I see is ick. So just yeah, everywhere, yeah, know, everywhere know, he goes, like he was probably called Pulisic. So, all right, I'm just going to look into it. I'm Pulisic now. <laughs> I know he told me, he told me. Well, let's use some of that for our interview. Give some people uh, some insight into the sense of humor of one Mateo Kovacic, who's now joining us uh, on Chelsea Mic'd Up. He was Chelsea's player of the season last year. And Mateo, that had to feel extra good for you, obviously, to get the recognition of your club and your teammates. You were consistent from the start of the season throughout. What was it like under Frank Lampard for you to really ascend? Because the first year, Chelsea obviously made you a permanent fixture in the squad. 
squad after your first year under Sari, but you really blossomed year two. Were you just generally more comfortable with the club, even though you were under a new manager? Going out on loan can be a little bit difficult. Second year in London, more comfort, and you got a better Mateo Kovacic. Yeah, it was obviously always alone is is not easy because you never know what's going to happen. So I was not it was, it was not actually a preference of mine to be alone, but yeah, it happened like that, and uh, I just wanted to come to Chelsea, so I I accepted the loan, and then in the end, yeah, I they they bought me, which I appreciate a lot, and that they showed a lot of faith in me, and which is an amazing thing for for a player. And it was not easy to come on alone, but in the end, yeah, my second year was obviously better because I felt like home. It's in, now I, I settled in, so it was much easier to to perform better and play better the, the second year. What is that difference? Because we kind of just think of loans as a means of player acquisition. We don't really kind of give it the context of how that might affect a player. So what is the difference between being a permanent player for a club as opposed to being on loan? Is it kind of like an ownership thing? Like, this is mine now? Yeah, because it's it's better, obviously, when you sign permanent because you know you have a long-term contract, you can settle in, you can be your family is ready to stay now here for a long time. And in a loan, obviously, you don't know what, what's going to happen next year. That's the main difference. But I was I was just from day one, my only choice was was Chelsea. And I'm, I'm thankful and happy to the club that, that it happened. Mateo, you speak five languages. Am I right? Are you working on number six or is it, I don't want to shortchange you. You speak five languages, right? Yes, for now, five. Not perfect, but I speak five, yeah. I mean, what a useful tool for you, given as well-traveled as you are, given you've played at some of the highest, the biggest stages in the sport. How helpful of a tool is that for you, given that you're in the midfield, you're constantly communicating. How often in a certain game do you go through several languages? Yeah, I go quite uh, quite a lot, but obviously in Chelsea we speak a lot of English, so in the game more or less we stay on the English language. But yeah, I am thankful to football because football gave me a lot of a lot of joy, and obviously I learned a lot of countries, a lot of new cultures, and I learned uh, I had the luck to learn a lot of languages. So it's it's an amazing thing for me to communicate with other players on their languages, which is really a a great thing and. I hope I can improve my, my, my languages. So I'm not perfect at, at every language, but I'm doing my best to be every day better and better because I can use all four or five languages in, in my team. How difficult is it, though, to perhaps bridge the gap between players who don't speak the same language? Because I, I've always found it so incredible. You look at just Chelsea alone. You're a Croatian in midfield next to an Italian-Brazilian with a Frenchman behind you and a, and a Spaniard behind you and an Englishman in front of you. There's so many cultures and languages. How like, Can it be difficult in a club like this to maybe get everyone on the same page? What What is that like? No, no, because... Everybody knows in the club that when you sign for Chelsea, that the main thing is to win trophies. And so we are we are a good squad, a good mixture of young talents and experienced players. And everybody of us was, wants to win things. So we are just focused on that, and we have a great relationship, which is which is quite important to to win to win trophies. 
Now, we're talking to you just a couple of days before your Champions League tie with Porto in a neutral site. So I guess we'll have the result in hand and play the result like a bunch of journalists might. But what is your mindset going into a neutral site game? You usually have to prepare yourself if we can get one away goal and set back defensively. But this is kind of an unprecedented situation. Two neutral site games, but still home and away goals, rules apply. It's all very confusing. What is your approach? Just go into this first game, forget maybe shutting down defensively after you get that one goal just ratcheted up the entire game yeah obviously it's a it's a new thing a strange thing but it's the same for porto so there are no excuses and we will prepare like like every game to to try to win to try to to attack to keep the ball which is our which is our identity so we just try to win both games and don't don't calculate to if we score a goal if not we will sit back no just play our football and try to be on our best might be kind of liberating actually to see Chelsea play that way not have the the away goal rule really impacted as much in terms of tactics going into the game Matteo I've kind of uh, had a, a friendly banter with my co-host here back and forth and I'm wondering if at a training session given your all-world dribbling skill because uh, for my money you're the best dribbler Chelsea has have you ever thank you have you ever scored a goal in training where you've just dribbled the ball directly into the net after <laughs> taking on several tackles you've just dribbled a goal into the net so first is first thing as you all know if you watch Chelsea I'm not quite a goal scorer so <laughs> this is not my my main thing in my game but obviously I'm trying to improve on that as well but no I <laughs> I, I tried to dribble sometimes but I prefer more the others to score. I'm just doing the things that I'm best at, which is not scoring goals, obviously. <laughs> okay, no, that's not how we meant it. I'm saying, I'm giving you credit, sir. You're one of the best dribblers I've seen right now in modern-day football. I guarantee you, you can dribble a few into the net just as just a mess with your teammates at the training session. I will try, I will try. This is a, a good advice, so I will try it. Okay, oh, no. you, you no, say I'm that guy. No, you say that you don't score <laughs> goals though, but let's talk about your first goal for the club. I I actually remember sitting in this very room we're recording this interview, watching Chelsea Valencia in the Champions League and getting so excited that you scored your first Chelsea goal. What was that moment like for you because you're a little self-deprecating, but that had been an incredible moment for you. Yeah, yeah, obviously because I was waiting for for that to score to score a goal for for Chelsea, so it was it was obviously a relief for me because everybody's criticizing me for, for that in my game, that I don't score a lot. So obviously it was a nice moment, but I don't look at that. I, I never looked at myself and to, to just score. Obviously I want to score, but it's not the main thing. It's not the, the thing that I'm best at. So I just try to do the, the best for my team. And this is other stuff. But obviously I'm trying in training to, to improve that part of the game as well, which we, which I will grow as a player for sure if I if I start to scoring more and more goals. You have incredible lower body strength. Given your dribbling ability, you maintain possession through some pretty meaty challenges, especially in the Premier League where it's a bit more physical. Is there one player specifically that when he eyes you and he's coming for the ball and he's about to tackle you, you're like, oh man, this guy's pretty strong. In Chelsea, we have quite a few, few strong guys. Rudiger, He's a quite uh, strong guy. Obviously, Angolo Kante, when he's mm. when he comes to you, is is not quite easy. And yeah, there are, there are a few players that are that are great tackling skills. But yeah, in our team, I think it's Rudiger and Angolo. I'm sure uh, you prefer Angolo Kante lining up next to you than 
Uh, obviously, obviously. obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to talk about the relationship that you have with your fellow central midfielders, uh, at least in recent times. It's been Conte and Jorginho. It seems as though no matter who plays in that two, you guys under Thomas Tuchel have that system sorted and kind of are able to juggle the responsibilities of that central midfield. So how has that come to pass? Because obviously you've been together for a while, but not really in that capacity. So how, how is it working so well? Yeah, well, we know each other already three years. We are training together every day, so we kind of know our strengths and our weaknesses. And yeah, it's the coach is trying to rotate us as much as possible. So sometimes me and Angie are playing, sometimes me and Georgia, sometimes Georgia and Angie. So it's important for all of us to play a lot of games. And that that's what's good now. We are we are all three in good form. And I hope we will keep that that shape for the for the finish of the season. We spoke to Timo Werner about the locker room and how everybody is rooting for each other, even though there's been quite a bit of rotation. It seems as though, especially with the most recent Champions League performance where Thiago Silva and Jorginho uh, are jumping in the stands celebrating your guys' success, it seems like a tight-knit unit, and you guys have gone through a fair amount of adversity. Can you speak to the bond that is in that locker room presently? It is a great bond because, like I said before, that we have a good mixture between experienced players and, and young talents. So we are pushing each other and the coach is trying to rotate us to have obviously as many as possible players in, in great form. And I think that's what we are doing now. We are, we are in a good shape and it's the finish of the season. So the bond is even stronger. We are still fighting for, for the FA Cup. We are in the Champions League quarterfinals. We are fighting for the top four. So there are quite a lot of objectives for us in the, in the last months. And of course, we are that's why we are all together and we need to be together because if you're not, you cannot win trophies. And that's what we are doing now. We are, we are trying to push each other and I hope we can, we can do it until the final of the season. Just to put a little bit of a finer point on the on the central midfield partnerships, can you just explain, because obviously we don't get to talk to the very best of the game very often. So you're playing with Jorginho. How is it different than playing with N'Golo Kante? How do you approach the game differently? Yeah, it's, it's, it's different because there are obviously different type of players. With Angie, Angie covers a lot of ground. So with him, I, I don't need to run so much because he's running quite quite a lot. And we are we are trying to be in a in a good shape. So I'm more advanced, he's more back, and yeah, we are we are going up and down more. And with Jorginho is like it's more calm. We keep possession quite a lot. We like to to give each other the balls to to relax the team, to keep the team calm around us. So it's it's different with, to play with with them, but it's amazing because they are two great players, and I can learn a lot from them. So it's amazing to play with them, and I like to play with them together. When we play all of us three in the in the pitches, we have a strong bond. We know each other already a long time, so it's it's great to have them next to me. I have noticed at times this season when you're partnered up with Conte, you do bomb forward a little bit more ball at the feet. It's fun to see how active you get into the attack. And I imagine part of you is a little, it's a little refreshing to know that ah, N'Golo Conte's got it back there. He's going to cover some ground. I don't have to track all the way back this time because he's just unbelievable with that skill. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, Angie has great running skills and it's it's incredible how how good he is at that because he can run the whole day and in such a high intensity. So it's it's quite amazing. But on the other side, Jorginho is just very intelligent player. He just his positioning is amazing and although he's not too strong and too fast, he's just amazing in how he how how well he put himself in himself in the pitch. And yeah, 
I think a lot of young players can learn a lot from him because he's such an intelligent player. What can they learn? Uh, that was going to be my next question. Is like, it's going to sound ridiculous. How does Golo Kante do that? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's it, uh, it's. Uh, <laughs> I would love to have that ability to run all day and to run in such a high intensity. It's such. Um, it's just incredible because he recovers so fast and he never seems tired. It's just. I don't know. He's born like that, and that's a gift from God. Nothing else. That is unbelievable. That even Chelsea's reigning player of the season is also left speechless at N'Golo Kante's ability to cover planet Earth, basically, yeah. defensively. Yeah. It's a testament to yeah. how special of a player N'Golo Kante is. I got one last question for you, Matteo. New father, what has uh, having a, a baby boy brought into your life? How have you changed? Well, I see the smile across your face in, in just Yeah, yeah because I hear him actually now. He's with his mother <laughs> there. He'll be crying, so I, I could hear him. It's a sneaky, beautiful, <laughs> while it's difficult with the country locked down, it's actually a beautiful time to actually raise a child. Not many people get to experience that. It's unprecedented, but being with the family closed a tight unit over there, it's got to be incredible just for seeing the growth day-to-day of your child. Yes, yes. I agree with you and it's amazing because uh, me and my wife, we are together since we are 15, 16 and obviously our main target was to to create a family one day and we got our son six months ago and it's just amazing to see him grow every day and to be to be in the house with him. As you said, it's not easy times for, for people with the lockdown and this COVID situation, but yeah, we try to make it best for for us and to be as many days and many times together. So it's amazing to be at home and to just take care of my son. Matteo, the proudest thing that I am about this podcast is giving insight to Chelsea players and shining a light on a personality because not a lot of Chelsea fans really know Matteo Kovacic, the man. And getting to know you here and seeing how self-deprecating you are, you even gave it back to me a little bit when I'm like, hey, just dribble it into the net. I didn't mean it that way, Matteo. <laughs> but I really appreciate uh, your self-deprecating humor. It's a pleasant surprise, sir, and I hope our audience found you as charming as we did. I hope so. I hope so. It was nice to, to talk to you, and I hope we will in the future do another one with, with some trophies in the back for Chelsea. You'll be happy to know uh, Slovenia's best basketball player, Goran Dragic. I got him to become a Chelsea fan. He's a He, he leans Real Madrid. Really? Yeah, he, he leans Real Madrid, and he was a fan of yours, and he's like, I'll become a Chelsea fan if I get a Mateo Kovacic jersey. I'm working with people at the club, Obviously. but you, you were I the mean, big draw. Yes, yes. If, if it's for Goran, it's not a problem because... Two, three years ago, we were in Miami with our national team and Goran gave me his shirt from Miami Heat. So I met him and he's an amazing basketball player, obviously, and but then such a great guy, such a lovely guy. So a lot a lot of hugs to him and I will send him the shirt, obviously. All right. I will make sure that happens. I will hand it personally. Please, please. All right. We close the Chelsea mic'd up loop there, Chris Whittingham. Mateo Kovacic, it was an absolute delight having you on the podcast. Continued success, sir. Thank you very much. All the best. Get the latest Chelsea news straight to your phone. Download the FitStand app, the official Chelsea app.
Our thanks to Mateo Kovacic for joining us here on Chelsea Miked Up. Mike and I have already had our say on the Champions League 2-0 victory for Chelsea over FC Porto. Let's hear now from the Chelsea manager, Thomas Tuchel, speaking to CBS Sports' Guillaume Balaguet. We, we expect always more from, from, from us, but we could clearly see also that we lack a bit of, uh, that we lacked a bit of confidence. We lacked a bit of rhythm and uh, we could see that, that uh, the circumstances to play a quarter final is not a usual game so not many of my players played it uh, in a quarter final and, and we could see that that yeah we, we, we felt the pressure a little bit and and we lacked precision in the build-up and we had easy po- we started very well in the first six seven minutes and then lost control and Porto looked a bit more free a bit more more active and uh, with a bit more courage and the goal helped, of course, because goals always help like nothing else. And then it, it became a bit easier. We made things a bit too complicated. The, the, the spaces were there. It was a bit tough for us to take the right decisions. It can happen like this, you know. You cannot also expect the best game in the in the intense situations. Sometimes you have to adapt. Sometimes you have to accept that you suffer. Porto is a strong side. It was very hard for, for any team in Champions League to beat them. And I'm not sure if you can play your best match against them because they, they make you look uh, weak because they are, they are a difficult team to play. You're not talking tactics, you're talking about the head. So I, yeah. I wonder if you reminded them at halftime that they have to be more courageous with the ball. Yes, we, we spoke about, about being more active, um, be more courageous, outplay players, don't play around the block, don't play to the side, try to play uh, diagonal to eliminate uh, opponents. And, and we encourage them very, very calmly to be a bit more brave, to feel a bit more free and to, to have a better orientation. But it's easier said than, than done because I, I thought that it's, I had the feeling it's not a matter of tactics, it's not a matter of, of, um, of quality, it's a matter of sometimes if, you're, if you feel that we lack orientation, anticipation, I felt us a bit tight, I felt us a bit tense. And I can understand we come from a, from a weird match against West Brom, from a big loss what we didn't expect and now was the first time together that we lose and we arrive in quarterfinal and yeah, this, uh, this can happen so we encourage them to play a bit more active and a bit more, bit more brave with the ball and uh, we did this so happy to win. Always enjoy that bit of insight that is put into this podcast and program on Sirius XM FC with a very interesting comments from the manager, Thomas Tuchel there. Like you and I were kind of trying to chew on a little bit in that first segment, there were more goals here to be had for Chelsea. It's not just that Kai Havertz moment, but Chelsea's attack was certainly lacking. And that sucked with Thomas Tuchel, who is new to Chelsea FC. And usually when you have a newer manager, they're afraid to have this bold of a criticism, but he wanted more. Yeah, and after a win as well, right? Again, we talked earlier about just the size of the achievement of getting to a Champions League quarterfinal, winning the first leg 2-0, and yet he was still talking about a kind of lack of confidence, maybe the stage being too big, easy passes being given away that the buildup wasn't that strong. And so he's kind of picking out things that can improve. And I think part of the reason why is... You head back into the Premier League in a top four race. You're going to, if you go through against Porto, play a really tough team, whether it is Real Madrid or Liverpool, and you get to the final, it's going to need to be better, right? Like there are moments in that game where against better opposition, maybe they make you suffer even more. So I do think 
Tuchel is always someone who's kind of process-based rather than results-based. Now, he has kind of makes some results-based decisions, but it's also what is the quality of our play in these matches. And so I think he's thinking about that even as his team is making a massive step forward towards getting to a Champions League semifinal. Yeah, perhaps looking ahead a little bit because... If the stage is too big for you right now, you're lining up against one of Europe's greatest clubs, no matter who comes out of that, Real Madrid or Liverpool, they'll seize on you not being fully in and ready for the challenge. And yeah, Chelsea, perhaps some red flags there. You can get away with it against Porto and that whole flopping team. Maybe not so much <laughs> against Real Madrid. Man, I am harboring some resentment I was from gonna watching, say you're having I, to watch Porto. I love that. I mean, you obviously are the emotional fan, but I love that in 90 minutes you can harbor antipathy for a team you've never seen before. Like, I really, really <laughs> dislike watching them play. I, I, I can't put it in plainer terms. I just loathe that. Maybe it's the American in me, but... Uh, but, but it's also like how, how how jarring it is compared to what you normally like in the Premier League you do, like I think there's one player it's Miguel Almiron for Newcastle who does that on a regular basis and he stands out for it I, I love him as a player but he's like the only one who still kind of is that like old school you know crying after getting you know after getting kicked ever so slightly looking up at the referee asking for yellows like that kind of stuff like there is kind of like a code of you don't do that stuff in England and I think when you go into other competitions where some teams do do that so it's like wow where'd that come from yeah i mean if you've been listening to previous episodes i've been like christian ballistic could afford to you know maybe go yeah. down a little bit more he's, <laughs> he's probably acting too tough yeah uh but there's a, a a wide gulf between me saying that and watching porto just exist so <laughs> i would but, be but, i would be glad to eliminate this team based off of that theatrical performance I saw but what did you make of of Tuchel kind of digging into the performance a little bit rather than just be like this was great we bounced back from West Brom we had a little bit of a dust up with Kepa and Rudiger on the training ground which you haven't discussed yet like in theory you should just (laughs) be notice that I haven't discussed that yeah I don't know how (laughs) to discuss it I I think this bleep happens at that level yeah and that's exactly what Tuchel said he like he wasn't even trying to play it down he was just like it happens sometimes. I would yeah, prefer it didn't. All, yeah. uh, it makes me really worried as to what happened because everyone's like, yeah, it was bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> when do you ever hear that? I mean, you always hear, ah, it's nothing big. Oh, yeah, no, it was bad. But, you know, we sent somebody home. It was Easter. Like, having that as your Easter Sunday, Yeah, it's, it's odd, but maybe it galvanizes the team. One of my favorite moments of this game was actually – Rudiger, who I kind of fancy taking shots from outside the box, low key, you know me, put it on the frame. (laughs) Funny things can happen, especially when you got a boot on you, puts a lot behind it. Porto keepers should do better, but it turns into that opportunity that doesn't end up being a goal because it's offside and Pepe is probably doing Pepe things and Kai Havertz is struggling with finishing, but you catch a drift. Good to see someone go for the goal when people are probably saying, huh, that's ambitious. I say, that's an opportunity right there. And when you're lacking in opportunities, make something out of nothing. And Antonio Rudiger is doing just that. It was good to see Rudiger, Christensen, and Silva all out there at the same time. I really enjoyed seeing that and seeing Espelicueta go in advance. So I thought they would sit back, but no, Espelicueta was bombing forward. Tiago Silva, did you notice? He was playing center back in, yeah. that, in that alignment of that back three. So... If we do indeed see Christensen Silva, perhaps some breadcrumbs left there by Thomas Tuchel to see exactly how they might line up. A running theme here on Chelsea Mike Up over the last few weeks is Mike gets ahead of himself. And <laughs> last week's edition was Frank Kirby. 
player of the season, unbelievable story, might be the best player in the world right now. And um, I have to apologize. I have to walk that back. I'm sorry, Frank Kirby. You've been brilliant. I think you're going to end up going to the Balloon d'Or ceremony, and there's going to have to be a tough decision made. It's either you or Sam Kerr. Sam Kerr, <laughs> I think, arguably, best player on the planet right now. Sam Kerr leading, well, tied for the lead in goals in the Women's Super League right now. Man, we, we were talking about it last week, too. An ascension to the mean. This is the Sam Kerr that we saw at the World Cup that was just totally on fire. Temple, this is the best soccer I've seen Sam Kerr play. She's been my favorite player on the planet for a while now. She is out of her mind. This is NWSL's top goal scorer, taking it to England and taking a second to settle, taking a second to figure out playing with this group of players and this immensely talented attacking team. But it seems as though Chelsea is starting to figure it out. And that's a frightening proposition for the rest of Europe because... I think in that second leg against Wolfsburg, you saw a real step forward from, I think, where they were even a week before in terms of the quality of their play. And if Chelsea can figure out, ultimately to me, to be the best team in the world, you have to be the best team in the world at your game, right? And Chelsea, week in, week out, are taking care of the ball, are pressing forward and attacking with their great talent. And if they can express that against the very best teams, look, they're doing in the Super League against Birmingham. That's one thing. And you want Sam Kerr to score for fun against Birmingham in the Super League. Yep. That's exactly the. That's exactly what she, I think, has set as a standard for herself. But the goals that she scored against Wolfsburg in the Champions League indicate a player who's now reaching that level week in, week out against the best teams in the world. And that's when you start to fear Chelsea just in terms of who is going to slow them down if Sam Kerr is playing like this. Emma Hayes' squad is on an international break. You mentioned the 6-0 victory over Birmingham. We continue to march on on what might be a quadruple. I'm counting the community shield. I'm counting it. <laughs> it might be a quadruple winning season for Emma Hayes' side, and we will certainly keep you posted. We've been blessed to have many guests from both the men's and women's team and we hope you've really gotten invested in this team because we've been pounding the table about them week in and week out let's talk about the transfer window there have been rumors and yes we've been known we've been alleged to be sometimes halan mic'd up look he's a brilliant player and you have to you have to do it this way he's a once in a generation type of player and not just on the on the pitch but it's just like you're playing with my heart right now it's just every every day i wake up to a new tweet and it's just fodder and banter and and leaks and and photoshops and it's just i i just can't take it i'm gonna have to Every day, there's this new Halan rule. It's like, oh, Chelsea are in it because of X. Uh, Barcelona are in it because of Y. PSG are in it because of Z. Like, it's just every day, it's something new. And uh, for me, that's one of those where just wake me up when he's holding up the jersey of, of, of the next team he's playing for. It's been a while, though. It's been a while since we've had something like this. Yeah. I mean, this is next level. This is people are talking about Mbappe and Holland like they're talking about Messi and Ronaldo. Yeah. Right, that these guys are going to be here for a while. They're already going back and forth. You look at the Champions League goal scoring leaders, they're there. They rise to the occasion almost, almost every game for their clubs. And those type of players don't come available all that often. And they both might be available this summer. So there's a lot of websites and a lot of streaming services and a lot of content that is needed. And Halan's agent is not hesitating for a second in delivering in that content for everybody right now. But one name that was a, a little interesting. I'm. I was saying I didn't want to get into the Holland stuff, and you dragged me into it. And but Kunaguero, 
Sergio yeah. Aguero, uh, while it's actually pretty cool, Manchester City agreed to terms with Kevin De Bruyne. There's no agent involved, and he's saying, and it's this heartfelt thing. So he gets to say, but David Silva left last year, and Sergio Aguero not going to be a part of that club next season. And rumors are out there. Links to Chelsea. And I can't help but want to bring this into a Tammy Abraham conversation, Chris, because this has been a very hot topic on Chelsea Twitter. Tammy Abraham has been Chelsea's leading scorer each of the last two seasons. Sergio Aguero, addition by subtraction, right? Taken away from Manchester City. This guy tormented Chelsea every year he was playing. I fear Sergio Aguero more than I feared any other player in Premier League history. I rate him highly, too. I don't hate him. I don't have that hate in my heart for Sergio Aguero. I have mad respect for this player. So naturally, I'd be in on the idea of having him as a second striker. Can you imagine? I'm already doing the fantasy booking, Chris Whittingham, where I've got Erling Haaland coming off for Sergio Aguero. <laughs> I've got our cup striker and Sergio Aguero dominating the Carabao as he's on. one to do. That obviously excites me. I don't know how real it is. This is going to be a free transfer, which means his wages are going to be way up there. Way high. Way high. So please save your, your Turkish kits and your uh, Inter-Miami CF kits. <laughs> Get that, that Photoshop nonsense out of here. This player has plenty in the tank, I think. He's got at least one really good year at the top level, and you have top clubs interested in him. So this is going to be another thing where if you want him, it's not a bad plan B, but you look at the lay of the land. And you've got an academy product that has a good goal-scoring record for Chelsea, and he can't quite get on the pitch. So if you're giving me the option of, I've got Tammy Abraham, or I can take Sergio Aguero, and of course, naturally, my mind veers to all the great moments Aguero had in that Manchester City shirt, and all the times he pained me as a Chelsea fan. I kind of am drawn to that, but Tammy Abraham, for me, is a play. Well, I do wonder if going forward... Chelsea views their number nine position as someone that still, or as something that still needs a leader, like an undisputed title holder. This is our center forward. You thought you were getting it in Timo Werner this year. He hasn't been, and I don't even know if out and out center forward is his best position. I think the current position he's playing in the Chelsea setup is more like it. Um, you have Tammy Abraham, as you mentioned, Olivier Giroud, probably not going to to come back as a result of kind of all these links. But I think there's a reason why they're in for Halan, they're in for Aguero, they're linked to big money, even. Romelu Lukaku, those rumors have come back uh, in recent times. It's because you wonder what the thinking is in the hierarchy in terms of do they need an out-and-out 20-goal a season in the Premier League, 30 goals in all competition, number nine, and do you believe that Tammy Abraham can be that? And if he is going to be that, wouldn't he have done it by now? I mean, he's 23. Like This is a player, it's his second season at Chelsea. He's had some fairly significant experience in England, and he hasn't kicked on to that level, right? Do you trust him day one? He's going to start as our number nine and score 30 goals this season. I, I don't know yet. Now, as you said, he has been Chelsea's leading goal scorer, but you wonder from a pedigree standpoint if this is something that Chelsea are looking to improve, and it's why they're linked to someone like Aguero, who, if he's fit for a full season, can give you that, but that if he's fit question is still very pertinent. When you look at the lot of players that are playing up top right now for Chelsea, you got Olivier Giroud, Tammy Abraham... Timo Werner, Kai Havertz. The most clinical among them, obviously, Olivier Giroud in terms of most efficient goal scorer in the Premier League. I still think he's holding that title because he's not really checking into Premier League games. Yeah. But Tammy Abraham is right there with him in terms of the production. I will say, if you want a strike against Tammy Abraham, there's a lot of hat tricks against lower-level competition. I'm not necessarily calling him a flat-track bully, but the big performances... the 
everybody's going to be graded against Diego Kass and DDA Drogba. They, they tried like hell to replace DDA Drogba and failed until they landed on Diego Kass. And now I think we're kind of doing that too. Chelsea, the number nine position isn't just about leadership. It's not even about putting 12 goals to your name come January. It's not about that, honestly. It's about doing what Drogba did. When you, when you sack Drogba's numbers against the strikers of his generation, you could swear that Drogba has 200 more goals. And it's not the case. It's being able to deliver in big moments for Chelsea. That's what being a striker for Chelsea Football Club is all about. That's why the fan base approaches it differently. It's a different type of striker. Heavy is that shirt. And it's not for everybody. It wasn't even for Lukaku. And Lukaku's excelled since then. And maybe he was too young when he was here. But it's not for everybody. And I think Chelsea's incredible knack to have strikers deliver at really big stages and really important times. Drogba 88. That is actually, unfortunately, part of the legacy of that position. Not unfortunately, because there have been great moments. But for everybody trying to fill those shoes, those shoes seem even larger by comparison. Because it's not just deliver. It's delivering big moments. And that's been lacking since Diego left. And I wonder, when you're talking about Sergio Aguero being the one to come in, he's been that for City. He's been that for yeah. City for decades. So yeah. like that that would be the appeal of it, is that you have a player who's got no problem kind of wearing those sized boots. But I completely agree with you. Like Sometimes different clubs are different, right? They have their own characteristics and their own unique aspects to them. And I think at Chelsea that center forward position is almost as much about the presence, the size of almost this character, rather than it is necessarily about your... Because Tammy Abraham is good goal production. I mean, Alvaro Morata has been a good goal producer in other leagues, right? There have been plenty of center forwards who have come through. I mean, Loic Remy arrived at the club after scoring 20 goals for QPR, but it wasn't a big enough kind of presence up top to own that number nine position. So I do think you kind of have to find someone who's in that realm, like, you know, what Robert Lewandowski is to Bayern and what, you know, Maru Icardi was to Inter before moving to PSG and what even Romelu Lukaku is now for Inter. Like, and, and that would be the appeal of potentially bringing him back is that he's he's taken that team, made it his own, and they're going to probably win Serie A with him running up top as, as their main center forward. So there's a presence, there's a feeling more than necessarily a kind of a, an amount of goal scored. Because Timo Werner, the m- amount of goals he scored in the Bundesliga, you'd think he'd be that guy. But again, it, it's a presence thing. Uh, ironically enough, I have plenty of incredible memories that flash through my mind when I think about Diego Costa and I think about DDA Drogba. But when I think about them just doing the mundane stuff in a Chelsea shirt, the first thing that I think of is hold-up play. It's boring. It's not sexy. Salting a game away. Strength. Power. Guts physicality. Oh, I love that. That's speaking my language. You just described Erling Haaland. And that's and and I think that's why like from the moment you saw him you're like, "Please, Chelsea." Yeah. I was can you I get was him trying in? to not mention him by name because I think now I have to Venmo his agent 20 bucks. <laughs> Chris, let's reach into the mailbag here as we close things out on a an eventful week here on Chelsea mic'd up a good week. Uh, Chelsea poised to make a run into the semifinals. What do we have in that mailbag? And again, you can tweet to at Chelsea FC in USA. The account will put up uh, the prompt for questions usually every Monday. This is from at Bear the Dan asking a question that you've already answered. Is Sam Kerr overtaking Fran Kirby for the Women's Player of the Year? Overtaking is tough. Yeah. Because I could answer the question, is she the Women's Player of the Year? But then I hold her into direct comparison of Fran Kirby, who's been exceptional. I honestly have no idea who the uh, Balloon d'Or winner is going to be in terms of who's the best 
footballing women's player on the planet right now. I do think that if there were a prop bet on it being a Chelsea player, that line would be minus 250 right now because Fran and Kerr are playing incredible football right now. And Sam Kerr is as hot as any goal scorer on the planet right now. That production is unreal. And you wonder as well, like kind of when you're assessing these two players side by side, the one thing in Kirby's favor is that she's done it all season long. Like from yeah. the first match, there's never been a question about Frank Kirby and her role in this team, whereas Kerr has kind of had some up and down moments, but she's just been so good at the most vital time of the season, right? Champions League ladder stages and the run-in to go and win another domestic title. So uh, I think that's why she's getting so much credit uh, right now. We haven't really addressed the West Brom game, but a question from Matt DGoForth918. Uh, are we going to see more teams play with two up front and press like West Bromwich Albion did? Uh, what to you is there to be learned from that game other than don't take red cards? Don't take red cards. That's a, that's the only thing. Um, and Thiago Silva's lucky in his illustrious career to have avoided West Brom <laughs> up until this final season because dude is a different player against West Brom. It's weird. What do we account for? 30% of West Brom's Premier League goals scored this season? Yep. Chelsea lost to West Brom in 2012, right? <laughs> they did. Wow, you will do anything to make this season like 2012. You're gonna, you're gonna make that narrative one way or another. Silver lining. <laughs> and that is Chelsea mic'd up, breaking down the West Brom game. <laughs> My, th- thank God that there's Champions League in midweek. If, if we had to do a full reaction pod to that West Brom game. It's better that we didn't. All right. Well, let's make our predictions here. Uh, Palace, 12.30 p.m. Eastern start. Chelsea got a rebound. Their special quality over the last few years dating back to Sarri is when they drop big results, they seem to get everybody else to drop big results around them. And and they don't actually suffer the full indignity of losing to a West Brom because other teams keep pace. And it feels just better to me. It's a reputation thing to have West Brom ham ahead of us than Tottenham. Tottenham, that's a very bad result considering the circumstances and Jose Mourinho is trying to fast track year three with some of his public <laughs> comments. It's weird. Kudos to West Ham. Uh, Moyes has gone from meme to a very strong candidate for manager of the season. He knows what he is doing and Declan Rice is out for that team and that was a massive, massive result. I still fancy Chelsea to finish top four. That West Brom thing flatly cannot happen anymore. I think that's your margin for error. You need to beat Crystal Palace as badly as you beat them earlier this season because that's one of the more impressive Chelsea performances on the year. And I hope to God we see it again. We were both really wrong uh, about that West Brom game. You were more wrong, so you go first. (laughs) you have to stick the boot in uh yeah i mean i just i thought west i thought west brom were done for just like i thought sheffield united were done for and yet both of those teams went to the bridge and put in some incredible performances chris i've been letting you talk me down from the international break nonsense i'm like no he's right did chelsea are just better never again okay west brom had a two-week vacation we're coming in there with guys that had played on wednesday and West Brom absolutely took it to us. I'm yeah. never doing that thing again where I let you talk me out of doing my PTSD international break stuff, okay? Let the West Brom lesson live on. The numbers suggest that it's not, it is an overstated effect on Chelsea, that they're not actually that bad off the international break, but. Uh, 30% of unf- West Brom's goal production, Chris. <laughs> 30%. Was that game also after an international break, the first one? 
It might have been, actually. It might have. Now that you mentioned it, I have to look it up. But yeah. your prediction for this game? My prediction for this game, Chelsea taking on uh, Crystal Palace. Uh, I've, I so this, so this is a Selhurst Park match. I don't know. There's something about Crystal Palace where you think that they're defensive and they're they're really strong, but they actually give away a lot of goals. Like, they've given away 48 goals this season. Oh, don't do, you're going to do the thing where you say four goals to Chelsea again. No, 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 I'm, no I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to make that mistake. I'm with you. I'm not going to, I'm going to call for, I'm not going to call for more than two goals until they do it. But Zaha and Eze obviously are the threats. Crystal Palace are kind of known for pulling off results that frustrate their opponents. Great. So I'm going to go for Crystal Palace one, Chelsea one. I'm going to go for a draw here. Wow. That surprised me coming from you. Um, play predictor game. Play it on the Chelsea Fist Sand app. Get cool prizes for every cool and correct prediction you make on the game. Boy, we need to be right here. Um, you opened up quite the path for me to main event next week's by going draw here. I'm going to go win. I'm going to okay. go 2-0. Boring affair. Uh, Chelsea right the ship a little bit in the Premier League, and we can feel a little bit better about ourselves because now... I, I can't lie. I, I saw that West Brom result and a full slate. I hate that when you drop the first game, 7.30 in the morning. That was a wacky game. Oh, Don't throw those at me at 7.30 in the morning if you're going to be that crazy. Okay. <laughs> the last two 7.30 games, I mean, I know it was a nil-nil, uh, but that Chelsea-Leeds yeah. match. Because then I just look at the schedule in front of me. I'm like, wow, we're losing we're losing points to everybody and by the by the end of the day i just have us being relegated so please don't do that <laughs> don't do that anymore uh i say boring two nil affair we write the ship because we better it's gonna be hard to win the champions league i don't need to preach that to anybody here and that might have to be the path like it was chris in 2012 <laughs> <laughs> till we speak again up the chelsea